you know, Corinthians was a port city, it was a worldly city. Like I said, a lot of sin had creeped into the church, either because people just grew up in a wild society and didn't really understand that there was another way. I remember when I got saved, and I began hanging out with uh, my friends who are believers, and we're in the basement, like, worshiping at my friend's house. I'm like, I didn't know you could do this. this is, I didn't know you could pray to God like this. I didn't know it would be this much fun and this wonderful. You know, it's like I just had no idea that this is what Christianity was. But again, it was to new believers, young believers, but also to carnal believers. Those believers who, yeah, had accepted Jesus, had, quote-unquote, prayed the prayer, and I do believe loved God and wanted to follow him, but they're still very fleshly. They still did a lot of things that they used to do. There wasn't really much change in their life. Yeah, they may have accepted the Lord, but their life didn't really look any different. Or at the most, it was very hypocritical. You know, I think a very important part of Corinthians is that it had the heart to instruct and to correct. You know, a lot of times we think God just wants to, to beat us down. He's the angry guy in the sky. Or you read the Bible, it's all, Christians can't do anything. It's don't, 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 don't. Or you're a sinner, blah, blah, blah. You're going to hell. And, well, that might be the case, but that's not the heart. You know, a lot of scripture is to correct us, to instruct us. That we might gain of heart of wisdom, as the Bible says, you know. This church had a lot of potential but really, it was limited by its immaturity and unholiness. And I say that, and I remember writing that down, and it's convicting. It's, wow, you know, we all have a lot of potential in Jesus. You do, and I do, because of what, like Drew was sharing, what Jesus did for us on the cross. We are free in him to live a holy life now. We're not slaves to sin. But don't we limit ourselves? Don't we limit what God maybe wants to do in our lives because we're unwilling to grow? We're unwilling to commit to a life of holiness? You know, oh, that we would let the Lord grow us. Would we let him grow us even today? Two verses I read yesterday, Proverbs 13.1 says, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And in the next chapter, 14.6, it says, A scoffer seeks wisdom, but does not find it. But knowledge is easy to him who understands. And oh, would we heed our father's instruction today? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your spirit that you give it freely in this day and age of grace. That God, I pray you would fill us. And you would teach us and refresh us. and Let us know that you love us. And God, despite of all the maybe confusing things that this chapter might talk about or uh, stuff that we can get caught up on and tripped up on, would we not miss out on you? And would we not miss what you're going to do and what you're doing already in the world, Lord? You're doing so much. And God, I think sometimes we're just asleep at the wheel and We miss our exit, God. So would you help us to turn to you and be a part of what you're doing? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read the first 16 verses at a clip because I think the last verse that we're going to touch on really kind of helps us understand what we're going to look at. And then we're going to come back through and look at it. So let's read the first 16 verses together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. 
For if a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor is man created for woman, but woman for the man. For this reason the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as a woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So let's go back and look at verse 1. It says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul's saying, imitate me. I'm imitating Christ. Imitate me. And, you know, it's important that we have godly examples to follow. In our walk with Jesus, we need to have people that we look up to that said, oh, they're pretty godly. I need to imitate them. You know, I don't need to look exactly like them. I don't need to idolize them and get their autograph or, you know, get the same shirt or car or live in the same neighborhood. But what does their life look like? You know, is it a life that I can model mine after in a way, in a pattern after, not cookie cutter, but just kind of say, well, they handled a situation like this and they minister like this and it seems like they stay steady through seasons like this. Are there people that we can look up to, that we follow? And if there are, do we? Do we? Do we imitate them? You know? But I think also it's important that we are godly examples to be followed. If we're to look up to others, well, that could mean others might look up to us. Or others should be able to look up to us as believers. And I ask, are we? Are we? To those in our family, can they look on and say, oh, that person's a Christian and their life matches up? You know, not perfectly, obviously. I mean, who here is perfect? I'm not. Ask my wife. She'll say, pretty close. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, who, no one's perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But do our lives have an element of righteousness to it that others can look on and, and learn from and glean from without us even saying a word? Can they learn what it means to be a Christian? Can they learn how to get through situations in life, per se, without even picking up the Bible or having us share with them anything? You know, like a child with their parents. You know, Mia does things that we never taught her that she just copies. You know, she likes to wear my shirts. Sometimes I'll take a shirt out of the drawer and I'll put it on her and she walks around. I'm like, don't trip because the shirt's so long. Go show mom and she'll go show Ashley. Um, But I was putting one on her recently and I stooped down to put it on her so I could be on her level and I could, you know, easily get it on her. And then she stoops down. And I go, oh no, sweetheart, I'm just coming down here to, to be close to you. And she goes, oh, and stands up and I put it on her and she loves it. You know, Ashley and I also wear glasses, and sometimes we take our glasses off, and, you know, if you wear glasses, you wipe them off. I don't think you do this with contacts, but I can't see any of you. This is weird. <laughs> but, um, you know, we do that. So Mia has these little yellow sunglasses, and she'll take them off and go, and then put them on. I never said, Mia, take off your glasses, clean them off, and be good. No, she sees us do it. She sees us do those things. And, you know, uh, she's kisses Jacob. She loves her brother. She imitates a lot of things we do. But really, that's sobering. That's really cute, and I love it, and I love my kids. But wow. You know, a lot of what I say probably doesn't get through. I mean, she likes to learn things, but 
you know, I could say no a million times and finally has to get up and, and get her to stop. Um, sometimes, I mean, she's a good kid, but you know what I mean? She's more paying attention to, and learning by observing than by what we say to her. You know, she understands a lot more than she can communicate back verbally, uh, which is really amazing. Um, but in the same way, you know, how is she seeing how I treat my wife or my wife treats me? How does she see how uh, if I get upset or I don't get upset or how I treat her when she does something wrong or, you know, is being good or all these things? It's sobering. You know, a lot of things that she's going to learn is just by watching us. And I'm sure a lot of us can attest that a lot of things we learned from our parents. I don't remember half the things my parents told me as a kid, but I remember seeing my mom write checks for, you know, groceries and Bouncing a checkbook. I've never seen my dad get up early and commute to work. You know, they never had to tell me these things. I just kind of learned by watching them. But if we're going to turn this into something spiritual, you know, if we have spiritual people to look up to, you know, we need to make sure that the examples we are following are godly. You know, we can glean a lot of good information from unbelievers, you know, and practical skills. You know, you don't have to go to learn how to be a mechanic from a Christian mechanic. You know, you want to find the best mechanic. You know, you want to learn from someone who knows what they're doing. But if we're going to follow spiritual examples, we need to make sure that they're good spiritual examples. That when we look at their lives, we see God. Again, not perfect, but someone whose heart is after the Lord. You know, because we're going to repeat what we see in leadership without them even telling us to. You know, and that's sobering too. That's very sobering. You know, I stand up here and some of you guys know me, some of you don't, but you know, at any point, you could really look into my life and go, hey, well, is, is he living up to what he's saying or not? You know, there's been a lot of talk about us going and following the Lord and going to Maryland, but I'm still here. Right now, it could be a whole lot of hot air. We'll see. I hope it's not, but, you know, pray. <laughs> but spiritual parents and leadership, um, they're recovering. They're recovering, just like we're recovering for our kids. You know, I provide shelter, um, instruction, protection, food, love, and play for them, and my wife does also. Um, but we also pray for them. We seek God for them. You know, we lead them into God's word and worship. And I think Mia sometimes leads us into worship more than we do her. She loves the music. Uh, we have uh, music on our TV, so she'll like point at the TV and want to sing, and she'll start singing her song and raising her hands. And then she'll be singing like a kid's worship song, and she'll come back and go, up, up, and like grab you by the hand and want you to get up and Staying with her, and it's awesome. Sometimes it's tiring. I'm working like me. I'm tired. I sit down, and then it's like so convicted. Like, how many opportunities am I going to have to do this with my daughter? And, you know, shouldn't I just get up and worship? So I'm like, I want to get her up here. and <laughs> Up! You guys are good. It's first service I'm talking about. But, but really, you know, the same should be for those who have us um, as those we look up to spiritually. You know, we should look up to those who are, we should look up to those spiritually who love us who care for us, who have our best godly interest at heart. You know, I'm not saying you need to be best friends with Pastor Tony or anything like that. It's probably not possible for all of us to be best friends with everybody. I mean, just because we have Facebook doesn't mean it's possible. You know, there's only a few people that you can really have those close relationships with just practically. But really, you know, don't look up to someone who doesn't really care for you. You know, you may not need to know them, and they may not even know your name, but can you tell that they love you and that they want you to grow and have a relationship with the Lord? You know, that's important because there's, you know, there's a lot of wackiness out there, guys. And there's a lot of copying what goes on in leadership without knowing what it should look like and what the Bible says for each of us. You know, there's people that I look up to spiritually, some that I would even consider spiritual fathers, mothers, uncles, cousins, etc., 
that they may not even know that, but I look up to them and I go, you know, it's just not, I didn't like pick one out of the phone book. It's just, these are people that God has placed in my life for me to look up to and to, to model um, my life after. Again, not cookie cutter, not trying to look exactly like them, but in a spiritual sense. And that's because we're the family of God, guys. It should be that way in each of our lives. It should be. You know, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, it's important to stick together. You know, I was hanging out with James and Guillermo yesterday. We went, did some things. Then we were hanging out and just fellowshipping and uh, just talking about godly stuff and what's going on in our lives. And all of a sudden, it was 4 o'clock. And I was like, oh, James, I'm sorry. I got to run, bro. <laughs> you know, I told my wife I'd be home earlier. I lost track of time. I was supposed to go to the supermarket. And I'm going like 11 o'clock last night. Like, am I going to get mugged? <laughs> no. People were probably thinking about me. Is he going to mug me? But <laughs> But really, we need to stick together. It's like, we need to be in church because it's good for us. But we should also want to be here, not just for the teaching or the worship, but that we might have fellowship with each other, that we might really, truly be a family together, that we can minister to each other. You know, I think in some sense, this might even be the least of the word, you know, the least of the ministry that goes on today. Because I've heard it said that, uh, it was, I guess it was a joke, uh, when the message was over, uh, a little boy said to his mom, is the message over? And she said, uh, yeah, the preaching's over, but now the message really starts. You know, when you get up and you go out and you begin to live it and, and minister to each other. And I don't know if I said that right, but it is what it is. You didn't, you know, <laughs> you didn't pay a cover charge to get in here, so <laughs> you're free to go. But I can tell you right now, and maybe it's a good thing I'm going away next weekend, that some of you are not going to like what I say today. You know, but that's okay. You know, if I say something wrong, or something I say offends you, or maybe uh, I, you know it's not accurate. Please come to me. You know, a, a sweet sister in the Lord came in and spoke to me after first service. It wasn't that I really offended her, but she grew up Jewish, and we had this great conversation, and we left with a hug and a pray a prayer for each other, and it was really good to talk about because you'll see some of the things we get into. And it was just let's just talk about this. I, I thought that was awesome. I thanked her. I was so glad she came to talk to me. But really, I think sometimes uh, we get upset by the things that God says, and we move on and. We go on and do our own thing, and we don't allow it to grow us, and we end up staying in this immature state. Again, that's first service. That's not you guys. I'm just kidding. But before we get into verse 2, I really want to hit verse 16, because I think verse 16 really sums it up for us. I think it's the straightforward answer for us. It says, But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So the verses we just read... And the verses we're going to dig into, don't get hung up by them, guys. Don't get hung up on them. The Bible isn't saying you must do it this way, you must do it that way, you've got to have this haircut, etc. He's saying it's not apostles' doctrine, it's not what the apostles taught, and none of the other church, churches held to it. So, most, more than likely, it was a local issue that they were dealing with. But if it's in the Bible for us to read, there's obviously something to it. It's not just a couple paragraphs we get to skip and say, yeah, we read a whole chapter, but we skipped half of it. You know? it it's not that simple. But again, it's the straightforward answer. There is no customer teaching or requirement in the Bible about hair or hats. And I think it's interesting that this custom, it obviously means being used to or accustomed, but it can also mean intimacy. Intimacy. When we think about idolatry breaking our intimacy with God and communion being an intimate act that we can uh, remember Jesus and his death and his resurrection, 
Well, maybe this custom has to do with intimacy. You know, I googled church hats yesterday, and I got a lot of interesting options. I encourage you to go do it. But seriously, a lot of religions and even denominations, almost you have to wear a head covering. Or you have to cover your body. Or you can't wear a head covering. You know, who was growing up and went over to a friend's house, I said, take your hat off inside. You know? I remember that going, why? <laughs> you know? But really, that's, that's, that's not it. You know, God doesn't care about what you're wearing. Now, hear me, hear me out. Hear me out. He cares. He doesn't want you to be exposed or inappropriate or um, causing someone else to stumble or anything like that. That's not what I mean here. But God doesn't care about what you're wearing. He cares about what's your covering. What's your covering? He cares about, are you covered spiritually? Not, do you have the right pair of jeans on? You know, is it after Labor Day and you're wearing white? (laughs) Well, spiritually, I hope we're all wearing white. You know, we need to be modest in our dress and appearance. You know, there are parts that are given for honor, the Bible says, that need to be covered. There are parts that are meant only for our spouses to see. And there are parts that nobody should see. Ew. This one, I'm glad I got this huge pulpit. You, you see much less than me. But we have no such custom. The apostles don't, and neither do the churches of God. You know, We don't hand out a members-only jacket at the door, thankfully. But again, this is quite possible. There was a local issue to the Corinthians. Excuse me. They lived in a sinful society, and some of these things could have been signs that someone was a temple prostitute. We just looked at idolatry in the last part of the last chapter and communion and how you can't eat at the table of idols and gods. And yet in their society, they had temple prostitutes where you would go worship your false god with a sexual act. Now, you know, you might drive down the road at night in certain parts of the city and go, oh, what's that lady? <laughs> I know what her job is. You know, it's, sometimes it's kind of obvious. And, and these could have been signs and symbols of being a prostitute. Maybe your head shaved was part of that. And so again, we don't want to dress a certain way, not just because it's immodest, but what kind of impression are we giving? You know, are we, you know, are we saved and yet we still look like we're not saved? Now, again, that doesn't mean that there's a dress code when you get, become a Christian. That's not what I'm saying, but, you know, spiritually, you know, is, is there some relation there? You know, so now that we've gotten this out of the way, that the practical, simple answer is that there's no such custom, that we don't need to be hung up on this area, well, Let's look into it. Maybe there's something else that we can kind of take away from this area, some wisdom that we can get from this kind of confusing, kind of weird section of Scripture. You know, so Paul says uh, in verse 2, I praise you, brethren. I think that's awesome already. In Corinthians, we've gone 11 chapters, and now he finally says, I praise you, brethren. I think every other chapter has been, well, you're doing this wrong. What are you doing? You're crazy. Stop doing that. That's sin, etc., etc." And now he goes, I praise you, brethren. So I think, whew, we got a little break here, you know. He says that um, you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. You know, they, he, they keep the traditions that Paul gave to them. It wasn't every tradition, as some people might have you believe or, or some people might expect you to live up to. You know, Colossians two sixteen and 17 says, So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moons or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. The traditions of the law of the Old Testament, they're done away with. You know, the Jews had a lot of rituals. You know, you went to the temple, you sacrificed, you had to bring a certain certain sacrifice. Um, 
You had uh, the priests wore certain garments, certain things. They can only go into the Holy of Holies one day a year. They had uh, Feast of Tabernacles, all these different things that went on that were these outward pictures of the things that come, of, of heaven, but also of Jesus. Like Passover is a picture of Jesus and his redemption. They put the blood over the tor- doorpost. They had the unblemished lamb. Um, you know, they had to flee out of the city of, you know, coming out of Egypt. All pictures of salvation of Jesus. And Paul says here in Colossians that these things are a shadow, not the substance. That these rituals, these customs, are not the things to be hung on to anymore. Why? Because we have the real thing. It's like if you got tickets to the Super Bowl, and the Super Bowl came and went, and you never went to the Super Bowl because you just hung on to the tickets and said, these tickets are fantastic. I can't believe I got Super Bowl tickets. This is awesome. And then you look back and you're like, man, remember those tickets? I still got them in the closet. Let's hang on to them. And it's from 1974, you know? Really, it's foolish. I mean, it's a silly example, but that's what we do when we hang on to traditions. We hang on to customs that aren't necessary for salvation. You know, we're in the age of grace where Jesus fulfilled it, so let's hang on to Jesus. I mean, it can be interesting to learn uh, about how they did things in the Old Testament. It can be interesting to learn about the sacrificial system, what the temple looked like, what they wore, all the stuff that they had to go through, in the sense, like what Drew was sharing, that we see just how much Jesus took care for us on the cross. And when we study those things, we begin to get a better picture of who he is as God and what he has done for us. But if we're to go back and hang on to those things, well, why would he even come? If those things were the substance, what was the point of Jesus? Well, it's because they're not the substance, they're the shadow. Christ is the fulfillment. They all pointed to him. You know, that's why we worship on Sundays. They, they did it because that's the day Jesus rose from the grave, the first day of the week. You know, eight was the number of new beginnings. Seventh day, and then the eighth day. They worshiped on the new day. And what did Jesus himself say to the Samaritan? He says, he says, hey, there's coming a day when you won't have to go down to Jerusalem, you won't have to go up to the mountain, where the Father is seeking such to worship him in spirit and truth, that you can worship God on any day. It doesn't just have to be Sunday in the church during second service. You can come first service. You can come Wednesday night. You can come tonight. You can go home and do it tomorrow. You can be in your car in the parking lot, you know, at the mall later on, whatever you're doing. You can worship God wherever you are because we're free now in Jesus in this age of grace. But Paul did give them a few traditions to hang on to. And Jesus did too. Communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me until I come. And I'm not going to take part in wine until I get to heaven, he says, until when you guys get there with me. So we do communion. Paul talks about the tradition and custom of marriage. It's good to be married. If the Lord calls you to be married, that's because it's a picture of Jesus and the church, the church and her husband Christ. It's a picture of that. It's a tradition and a custom we can hang on to. But also not offering to idols. That we don't need to go through the sacrificial system anymore. Jesus is our sacrifice. He says here in verse 3, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And he says here, I want you to know, Paul wants us to know that there is an order for things in this world. You know, 1 Corinthians 14.33 in the New Living Translation says it this way, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. You know, the word disorder or chaos or confusion. You know, God does not want you to be confused. God created an orderly universe that we kind of messed up. God made everything to be orderly. So if God created order, something from nothing, he's not going to go back on that. 
He's not going to expect you now as a believer in Jesus to be confused. Well, do I have to keep the feast? Do I don't keep the feast? Do I wear a hat? Do I not wear a hat? What's the deal? No, you're, you're free. We are free. So if this isn't necessarily a spiritual thing, I think that there's a practical application. Just like before I was saved, my life was messed up practically. My life was messed up spiritually. But then my life got orderly spiritually. I got saved and then my life began to get orderly and followed it. Not that I have this perfect OCD life as much as I try. You know, my life is in order. You know, I, I have a good marriage. I have kids. I have a, a good job. I, have, I belong to a great church. I have, have great friends. And, you know, I had good friends and a decent job before that. But everything's just kind of in order now. It's the way God had intended it to be. And, of course, it's not perfect. I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I'm sure I'm going to make even more. But the point is, is that at least it's starting to kind of resemble the way God has ordered it to be from before the foundation of the earth. And the same thing for you guys. I'm sure you guys can say the exact same thing if you know Jesus. But spiritually, men, you know, for us, the one who should be calling the shots in our lives is Jesus. It's Jesus. And for women, the one who should be calling on the shots on your lives is Jesus. Whoa, wait a minute. Same thing. Why? Because in Christ... There's uh, neither slave nor free, Jew or Gentile, uh, woman or man. To Jesus, you look the same as I do. You're covered by his blood. Yeah, he knows you're a woman. He knows I'm a man. You know, he knows those things. It's not like he just sees a bunch of, you know, the paper dolls (laughs) pulled out. But we have equal standing in him. We have equal spiritual standing in Christ. It's just the way that practically plays out in this short little life we have has an order to it. It has an order to it. You know, Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. It says that even uh, the head of Christ is God, that even Jesus has a head, and that's the Father. Even Jesus has one who gives him instructions, and that's the Father. And it plays out that way. You know, practically, men, as leaders in the home, and in the church, and in the world, we need to follow Jesus, the man who watches out for us. And women as leaders in the church and in the home and in the world. Notice the same things there. We need to, you need to follow Jesus and the men who watch out for you. You know, there's a covering for my family, and that's Jesus. But you know what? As long as we're on this earth, I practically and physically cover my family. If someone breaks into my house at night, I'm going to pray real quickly as I'm grabbing certain things off the nightstand in the closet <laughs> and pulling the pen with my teeth. But... <laughs> But I'm not going to sit there and pray and say, Lord, would you just supernaturally protect us? God's going to go, I put you there supernaturally to protect them. I practically cover my family in that way. But I also cover them by going to work on Monday morning. Don't want to think about that right now. I also go to work by paying, I also cover them by paying the bills, by also being at home, by praying with my family, by reading the Bible with my family, by just laughing and playing with my family. You know, again, because of that practical order, when that bump in the night happens, you know, it happened more in another place we live, we were pretty paranoid, but I don't say, Ashley, I heard something. Go, go to the front door for me, will you? No, she's usually sound asleep, and the little baby's not asleep on her. But really, you know, if we were ever in a place that bullets were flying, you know, I hope that I wouldn't run away screaming, ah, you know, and trip her so that the bear gets her first or whatever. But... I hope that I would say, you get the kids and you get the safe way and I'll stay here and I will cover you, to use that metaphor. And that's the same way. That's the same picture. It's not that I'm better than her. It's just that that is my role. 
that is my job to protect her. And if I don't protect my family, physical and spiritually, whatever that looks like practically, well, I'm failing. You know, and the ministry of my family is the most important ministry. And the same goes for you guys. You know, my daughter Mia, you know, I watch out for her. And I would love to watch out for her the rest of her life. If she never gets married, praise the Lord. I'll take care of her the rest of her life. You know, I'll you know, marry her, so to speak. And I'll care for her and provide for her. But I just want her to follow the Lord. And honestly, you know, I'm, you know, in ministry. You know, I do youth ministry, and I uh, do this occasionally, and see what the Lord has for us in the future. But if other people walk with the Lord, if you guys are encouraged and blessed by today, I pray you are, and I hope that you are. But if you are, or the youth are, and my daughter never hears about Jesus, if I'm never home to care for her, and love her, and show her what a, a father is, and, and be a good dad, and just have a relationship with her, and I desire that, and she doesn't come to know the Lord because of my not being there, well... Shame on me, you know. Then the rest of this is for nothing. You know, the Bible says if you can't take care of your own home, how are you going to take care of the church? And that's sobering. You know, Jacob's a little different. You know, I hope to teach him uh, to provide for his family, but I hope he gets married someday. I hope he moves out at 18, you know. I hope he follows the Lord. I don't want him to be 40 and living in my basement unless, you know, unless he just practically can't. You know, he's got something physically wrong with him or something like that, which he doesn't, but... When he's 18, get out. Mia, when you're 30, oh, my baby girl, you can stay here. It's just, it's different. I love them the same, but it's different. It's different. I'm going to say, Jacob, you grab your grenade and come running with me. You know what I mean? Not right now, but in like two years. i got to be careful. I say CPS will show up at my door. But really, I am their covering. And to speak to the women a little bit, you know, there's a, you're covering... You should have a spiritual covering on your life. If, if your dad is a believer, he's your spiritual covering. Even in the sense if he's not, he still is because you can still, he'll still watch out with you. He'll still be the guy in the porch, bring her home by nine, you know. He still wants to cover you and protect you, I bet. Not your boyfriend. Your boyfriend's not your covering. You don't have to obey your boyfriend. You don't have to submit to your boyfriend as you would your husband or even your fiance. Now, this person, for guy too, you know, this person should be a person you want to cover, but for the girl, this guy, you need to look at him and say, could this guy be my covering one day? Would I be okay under his protection under the Lord? Does he follow the Lord? Is the Lord his covering? But if your dad's not really spiritual, well, your pastor should be your covering in a sense. You should take spiritual advice from him. Not that he's going to you know, tell you who to date and who not to date, but if he has advice for you, spiritual advice, and looks in your life and says, hey, you know, I'm a little concerned about you, or hey, maybe this might be better for you, or I'm praying for you, well... You should take that advice. Same thing with us men. You know, we need the spiritual fathers. It's not just one or the other. We all need the advice. What I'm saying is, is that, you know, when you get married, you leave and cleave. That my wife's covering was her dad, and her dad's a great believer. I love him. But when we got married, well, she's really my problem now. She should never have to run home to daddy, no matter how messed up I am. You know? I am her covering. I'm responsible for her. And now when we stand before the Lord... Yeah, the Lord's going to hold her accountable. She's her own person, you know. She's not my property. But there's also going to be that, well, if she shows up there and something's messed up and it's because I was too busy, you know, out at the golf range. I wasn't at that range. But at the other range, I spent all my time there and I didn't cover her and protect her. Well, God's going to say, well, what were you doing? Where were you, buddy? I was out serving you, Lord. Well, no, you weren't. You know, it's important that that we are that for our family. You know, because even Jesus had a covering. The Father raised Jesus from the dead. The Father called Jesus into ministry and gave him work to do, which was to cover our sin. 
to remove our sin, to take it away. Again, this practical area really is about spiritual protection. But that spiritual protection comes in a practical order. You know, imagine if, if no one in the army took orders from anyone else. You know, I've never been in the service, but if someone has, I'm sure that you can attest that you have to follow orders. And I'm sure not everything goes perfectly, but that's how it works. You know, imagine if no one on the highway obeyed the rules. Oh, you'd have the New York State Thruway during rush hour. But the point is, is that you'd have chaos. You know, that there needs to be order. And practically, there needs to be order. It doesn't make one better or worse, but it's how things get done. It's how order is achieved. But it says here, men dishonoring their heads. So, have you ever had painful hat hair? You know, it's winter, and you put on the beanie for a little while, and you take it off, and your hair's all in one direction, and you go to move the other way, and it's, oh, oh, it hurts. And then, you know, you wash your hair, and it's still kind of stiff. It's like, it's just bad. Is that what he's saying here? That they have spiritual hat hair? I don't think so. I hope not. But really, who is the head of man? Jesus. So the point is, is are we relying on something else? You know, women, they had their head shaved, shorn, a dishonor is probably, probably related to uh, prostitution today. But it's interesting, you know, after World War II, uh, I believe it was in the Netherlands, the women who had, uh, you know, aided and embedded the Nazis and maybe even had kids from the Nazis, the other villagers came out and shunned them and shaved their heads and kicked them out of the community as a sign of dishonor, as a sign of, well, hey, you know, you sought the evil ones who were coming in to take us over for a covering. You're not covered anymore. I'm not saying that that's right, but that's history. You know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but there's this trend where women, like, shave part of their head or their whole part of their head, and it's fashion. And there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. I'm just saying I think that it's interesting that the way fashion goes, it's always about pushing the bounds of right and wrong and up and down and left and right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having short hair or long hair. Some of us don't even have any hair. And I hope, you know, that this stays. You know, and if it doesn't, at least I have this for now. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll do a comb over. I don't know. You know, because it's not really about hair length. You know, it's symbolic. It's about looking for something else to cover you. It's putting your trust, like I said, in something other than Jesus' covering. It's saying that this little hat makes me acceptable in God's sight. This is a little hat one of our friends made for our daughter Mia. It's a little strawberry because I called her my strawberry. She was red. This is a hat that April always made fun of me for wearing. I don't wear it anymore. It's kind of smelly. This is a hat that my uh, uncle gave me. He's, uh, he's in the Marines. I was in the uh, National Guard. This is one of my beanies. This is one of my wife's. So maybe what this section of Scripture is saying, well, which hat does God like better? First service said this hat, so. What we're saying, when we look for another covering, is okay, now I can pray. Now God will accept me. Now I've done something in my life that God can look upon and listen to me, and yet he can't now. It's kind of silly. You know, this little hat makes me acceptable in God's sight. Well, maybe my thought life has been pretty messed up this week, so let me cover my thought life. Lord, don't look here, but the rest of me. (laughs) You know, maybe we do that. Maybe we seek to cover ourselves with other things. Maybe we seek to cover ourselves with a relationship or good works or a ministry or even I prayed this morning, so God's got to listen to me. I haven't prayed all month and I finally pray. I think, you know, we, we, maybe these hats aren't the right hats to use. Maybe we need a more spiritual-looking hat or, or a robe or something like that because maybe that has a perception of more honor to it. 
But really, God looks at him, and it's just as silly as me putting on that strawberry hat. He goes, that can't cover you. Only the blood of my son can cover you. Why are you trying to do it differently? You know, verse 7 is interesting. It says, men were the image and the glory of God. Wow. Were the image and glory of God. That is, that's pretty heavy. You know, we're made in the image of, the likeness of, the moral likeness of. We're triune. We have body, soul, and spirit. We're the imperfect trinity, and he's the holy trinity, uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the word glory can also mean opinion, judgment, view, splendor, brightness, uh, excellence, or dignity. You know, we're to be the reflection of God, guys. Just like Jesus covers the church like, as a husband, so men are supposed to cover their wives and their family. Excuse me, also others. You know, the Bible talks about that it's the glory of kings to cover a matter. You know, it's the glory of men to, to pass over a sin, and not to ignore it per se, but really if someone sins against you, not to go post it on Facebook, not to go backbite them, but really say, okay, I forgive them, and let me just put this aside. That, that can be a glory. But we're to be a reflection of God, and in a sense, we are the glory of God. Because isn't it glorious, and doesn't it reveal how glorious God is when people look on and see someone totally messed up and yet forgiven by a holy God. I think that that is a picture of God's glory. Wow, we're messed up, and yet God died for us. That's like, turn the lights on. That reveals who God is. But says women, the glory of man. And ain't that true? My wife is beautiful. You know, if you put my wife and I next to each other and you think I'm more beautiful, well, the mall has plenty of glasses stores that you can go to. <laughs> I'll personally take you there because... She's, in a sense, the glory of man. She's the glorious one in our relationship. She's the pretty one. She's the kind one, the gentle one. You know? Most of the time. No, all the time. (laughs) All the time, seriously. But really, she's a reflection of me in a sense. You know, our our behaviors have intertwined over the years as God has brought us together and and we're married and, and hopefully serving him and following him. But she's a reflection of how I treat her and a reflection of who I am as a man. If I'm not treating her well... I can tell by reflection of the way she's towards me. And not that she's bad or ungodly to me. That's not what I'm saying. But I can just tell when I'm loving her right. I can tell when I'm not loving her right. And usually that's a reflection of how I'm spending my time with the Lord. And I guarantee if it proceeded long enough, you might even be able to tell as well. And I think of men who put down their wives down. Um, and my phone's battery's going to die, so the message is going to be four hours long today. But men who put their wives down or speak bad of them in public. You know, I was at ShopRite once, uh, you know, a couple times in my life, but uh, a few times, a few months ago, and there's this guy, this old man, hanging out with his friend. They're, like, looking at meat, and he's just bad-mouthing his wife. And it's just, it was just, like, poisonous. Like, I almost wanted to go up and say something to him, but he was, like, an old man, and he looked tougher than me, so <laughs> I don't want to get a fight. But I just, just blown away. And then at the front of the store, he was doing it again. And the funny thing is, is like, I could tell by the way he was saying it, is that he, you know, whatever he was saying to his friend, he thought that he was putting his wife down by the words he was saying, by the things he was doing. In a sense, that's what he was doing. But what it really did, it was reveal who he was as a man. It really, it really revealed, well, yeah, no matter what he's saying about his wife, when I hear him saying that, I don't think his wife is what he's saying. I probably, I'm thinking, oh, she's probably a saint. She probably loves him, takes care of him, etc., etc. You know, and like, well, if she's so whatever you want to call her, and you married her, who's the real idiot? You're the one who married her, buddy. She's so bad. Well, you know, think about it. 
Think about it. It doesn't make me change my opinion of her. It made me change my opinion of this man. You know, Ephesians 5, 24 through 29 says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that uh, she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. That we're to be, just as the church is subject to Christ, we need to be subject to Christ and love each other. But again, it's about role. It's about men, it's about women, it's about role. Men are meant to cover as a picture of Jesus covering the church, and women are meant to be covered by their husband as a picture of the church covered by Jesus. It's an equal picture gang. It just has to work this way to be an accurate picture. If it's not, well, it doesn't give us a picture of glory anymore. You know, Adam and Eve, they're both equally naked before the fall. They were both equally uncovered physically. And yet they didn't see themselves that way. Because that's not the way they were created. They weren't created uncovered, even though they were naked. And yet that wasn't really what led them to sin. It was not paying attention spiritually because of their physical desires. You know, Eve was deceived. Her mind was uncovered. And Adam failed to cover Eve spiritually. You know, Adam knew what was going on. It didn't say he was deceived. It said he sinned by not, you know, saying, Eve, this is wrong. You know, this is sin. She probably said, oh, wow, you're right, Adam. Let's get out of here. But he said, she looked at the apple or whatever it was. And she said, oh, you know, it's good, to the, it's good to the eyes. It's good to the taste. It's good to the touch. And Adam was probably going, yeah, she's pretty pretty. <laughs> All right, I know it's wrong, but, you know. She likes it. Both were distracted. Both were distracted. One was deceived, the other sinned, but both were distracted. And then what? They tried to cover themselves. Said that they hid in the bushes. Well, that didn't work. That didn't work. You know, they both were naked. They both sinned. Again, it wasn't about superiority or inferiority. You know, Adam was created first. Men are better, right? Well, no. Adam was created first. And God knew that he needed a helpmate, but he wanted Adam to see that. So he waited a little while, let Adam kind of think he had it all figured out. And then when Adam realized, oh, wait a minute, (laughs) yeah, all right, I'll go to sleep. Hook me up, Lord. That's when God brought Eve into his life. And that's when God said, this is good. This is good. And I think, isn't that right, guys? We were all kind of like, yeah, I got my life together. And then God brings uh, a wonderful woman into your life. And you go, all right, yeah, I do need the help. (laughs) Honey, help. We need each other, guys. And that's why it doesn't work without Christ. We become codependent in a negative sense without the Lord. We, we devour each other, we hurt each other. But with the Lord, we become codependent in the fact that we help each other as a relationship, a healthy organism. You know, because we'll devour each other instead of covering each other if we don't allow the Lord to be our covering. Again, it's about order, it's about honor, and it's about glorifying God. You know, the first covering, I'm not going to turn there for time, but in Genesis, uh, when the Lord called to them, Guess what? God made a sacrifice. It said that uh, Adam and his wife, uh, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. God, I don't think God printed out a skin on his 3D printer. I think maybe he sacrificed an animal and made these tunics for them. So now if they're physically covered, they realize they were naked. Well, how come they didn't go back into the garden? How come they didn't just put on a pair of pants and say, all right, let's go back into the garden? Well, because they weren't spiritually covered. 
They were now physically covered to cover their shame of their nakedness, which even then you look on and you go, well, now that they're all wearing clothes, there's obviously something wrong because we weren't born with clothes. Animals don't wear clothes. We wear them because we need to cover each other up because there's sin. And God kicked them out of the garden. You know, he said, there's consequences to sin and you guys are going to have to live with that consequence. But I've made a way for your spiritual covering. If you would turn to my Messiah, Jesus, who's coming, you'll be covered spiritually. I've covered you physically with these animal clothes, but I want you to be covered spiritually with my son. You know, how did God get the tunics? A sacrifice. It was a sacrifice. In the same way, it takes a sacrifice to cover us spiritually. And that's why we don't follow the sacrificial system anymore, because the Bible says that sacrificing a goat or lamb or anything, that didn't cover. It just kind of was a symbol of what Jesus would do. You know, God wants to remove your shame. Other religions, actual religions, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship, want to make you feel ashamed. Oh, you're ashamed. You know, you can't do this, you can't do that. Only holy people can do that. That's the voice of the enemy. Because we're all holy in Jesus. Islam wants you to cover up from head to toe if you're a woman. Because it's shameful. You're lesser. They want to put you down. But you know what? God wants you covered. Why? Not to put you down, but to lift you up. To lift you up. That you might be seated in the heavenly places with him. You know, Zechariah 3. I'm not going to read the whole thing, Andre. Um, but it says, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, his high priest, and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head. And they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. That God gave him new clothes. God said, you're filthy, you know you're filthy, but you trust in me. Let me give you new clothes. Like Jesus talked about being ready for the wedding feast, that they would have the right clothes on. You know, wedding garments. In Revelation 19, I'm just going to read a part of it, Andre. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. It says here that, And his wife made herself ready. Now, does that mean that the church needs to save itself? No. But what it means is that we have a role in our sanctification, that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as the Bible says. You know, my wedding was fantastic. My wife looked gorgeous. She had a great dress. But you know what? She didn't show up in sweatpants. She went out and picked out a dress. She went out and brought her friends to get bridesmaids' dresses. And it, you know, she did a very good job and everything. And she got someone to do her makeup and her hair. You know, I would have loved it. Uh, as long as she just showed up, I would have been happy. But wasn't it more special that she wanted to make herself look beautiful, to have a beautiful wedding, and that I might think she was beautiful, even though I know she is, no matter what. That's the same way, you know, are we going to show up in heaven with the sweatpants with the little, you know, patches ironed on into them that I used to wear when I was a kid and then I found out they weren't cool and I said, I don't want to wear these anymore. But really, are we going to show up in tattered clothes spiritually? Or are we going to adorn ourselves, make ourselves, you know, ready for his appearance? Are we going to let God have his work in our lives to make us beautiful? You know, Proverbs 11.22 says, I love this verse because I think it's, Proverbs are great, but it's, it's such a, a stark picture. It says, As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. I think it's true. You know, there's nothing uglier 
than a pretty woman or, you know, a handsome guy, really, you know, the supermodel or the bodybuilder, who acts and dresses distastefully. You know, again, I was at the supermarket yesterday, and these magazines with these people who are beautiful in a sense, but they're wearing stuff that's just distasteful and revealing, and man, I would never want my daughter wearing that in the first place, let alone so every creep in the, like me in the aisle has to see it. But really, or their lives are messed up. Reading about the divorce or whatever else is going on in so-and-so's life, like, wow, ring of gold is beauty, but in the snout of a pig. And would that not be us as believers? Ring of gold, our salvation, stuck in a pig's nose. Would we not stay carnal? Would we allow the Lord to grow us and change us and remove the ugly stuff from us? You know, praying with my head covered, just a side note, you know, I don't really pray in my own prayer time with my head covered. You know, and it's not really a spiritual thing. I mean, when it's, if it's really cold and I'm cheap and I don't have the heat on, I'll put on a hoodie and cover my head. But after a while, it gets distracting and I take it off and it's, it's, it's hard to pray. I'm like, oh, you know, and it's just distracting. I think practically we can look at this um, and say, well, are we being distracted by things? Are there things when we come to church, when we come to spend time with the Lord that distract us? Our smartphones, I know that's a big struggle for me. Or is it having to go to work tomorrow? Or is it, you know, whatever it is that we have to do that we're distracted by, like in service this morning, you know, I, I was hoping that we would all spend time with the Lord and do whatever we need to do during that last song to let him do what he needs to do in us, that we wouldn't be distracted by what are people going to think? Well, if they're looking at you, well, they're looking, the wrong, they're looking the wrong direction again. So let us put our thinking caps on. I'm not going to put it on. But is it hats God cares about? If you think so, if you think God really cares about the outward appearance. I want you to really think about that. You know, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? They're whitewashed tombs. Out of their, you know, they look great on the outside, but they open their mouth, and it's like, you know, it's like walking dead comes out of their mouth. It's messed up. But verse 10, and we're going to close up here in a second, so I'm not going to get too deep into it, but verse 10 is kind of weird. It says, because of the angels. What? That's kind of weird. Paul's like writing all of a sudden, because of the angels. Did he have like autocorrect on, and then that showed up? It's weird, but if you look in Genesis 6 later on, the first eight verses, it talks about the condition before the flood. When it says the sons of God came down and had relations with the women of the earth who they saw were beautiful, and they had this offspring that became giants that, you know, the word is Nephilim. And it's this weird area of scripture where the Bible has a couple of verses like this that are just kind of weird. And I think they're kind of there because God goes, yeah, weird stuff happens, guys. You need to be aware of it, but I don't want you to know too much about it because it's going to mess you up. You know, it's like the people who get too much into conspiracy theories you just know it. they got the tinfoil hats on. And yet, you know, I think more of those conspiracy theories are real these days. But the point of this here is that could it be that part of the instruction here is to avoid sexual sin? You know, just as there is demonic activity going on and sexual sin and it created all these weird things on, uh, before the flood and God said men are just totally wicked and it grieves me, I need to wipe out the earth. Could it be that we need to be careful to avoid the sexual sin, that we don't bring judgment on people because of it? That the way we dress, the way we act, doesn't cause someone else to stumble. That when they see us, they don't think prostitute. They don't come after us and try and have a relationship with us. Or they don't even, maybe in church, say, are tempted to lust. Now, people are people, and you could be wearing a cardboard box, and they'd still you know, want whatever's inside, Schrodinger's cat, or whatever it is. But really, it's symbol of authority, it says. You know, it's like a wedding ring. It's saying, hey, I'm married. I could probably walk around the rest of my life with this on and not have to worry about getting hit on. But I know if my wife went out without her wedding ring on, I guarantee she would get hit on. And even if she has it on, she probably would. 
You know, I remember when she first came to here, there was a bunch of young guys who, who don't come here, but they're all hitting on her. And I liked her, but I, you know, I didn't tell her that. I didn't tell anyone else that. But it upset me, partly because I liked her, but partly because I'm like, come on, she's, it's just a church event. Stop trying to get her number and take her out afterwards. Just come here and fellowship and know God. Like, stop trying to pick someone up. And men and women, you need to be careful because in church, people are going to try and pick you up. And again, we need the symbol of authority in our lives, of God's authority in our life, because you know what? If God's authority is in your life and you show this symbol of authority to them, spiritually, and they submit to it, well, maybe they are the one for your life. Maybe you go, well, I don't ride in cars alone because I'm saving that for my wife and I don't want to be in a situation of danger. And they go, oh, that's cool. I'll meet you over there. Well, oh, all right. They're like, what? How come I can't ride with you? Well, tell them to get lost. (laughs) You know, the bus comes by later. Seriously, what's more important, protecting your marriage or this person has the ride, call them a cab. But really, Jesus needs to be our covering and the symbol of authority in our life. You know, the close up here, we talk about haircuts. It talks about men having short hair and long hair and even the laws that are natural. It's like, I had long hair when I was a kid because all the rock bands I like had long hair and I was like rebellious and yeah, I'm going to you know, have long hair and I'm going to look like Kurt Cobain. Not even close. Um, but I had like weird haircut. But I remember sophomore year, I think it was end of freshman or sophomore year, I'm walking into, like, I think it was an English class. That afternoon, it was like a substitute teacher, and she didn't have her glasses on. She goes, hi, young lady, can I help you? I said, I'm a guy. <laughs> really, I mean, I think it's just natural. But the, again, if God doesn't care about our hat, does he care about our hair? No. I mean, you know, I get so many comments on this growth off my face that I even pray, like, Lord, do you want me to shave this? And I just got the impression God said, I don't care. <laughs> do you like it? Fine. God, again, God doesn't care about this. We don't need to cut our hair a certain way, wear certain clothes to be accepted by God. When we're accepted by God, we may change the way we dress, we may change our haircut and what we do, but that's because there was a spiritual change first. The, the outside doesn't necessarily reflect the inside in that direction. But the point I'm trying to get here is that it's good for men to be manly, and it's good for women to be womanly. Now, I'm not talking stereotypes. Men, you don't belong in the kitchen, and women need to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. You know, like my wife. <laughs> You know, she's been pregnant most of the time in our marriage. It's, it's a joke with us. But um, really, you know, if guys like to cook, good. I just don't know how, so I don't really. <laughs> and I'm pretty bad. But really, be the man or be the woman God has made you to be. Don't try and fit into a mold of society. Don't try and fit into the mold of what other Christians might tell you. But be who God wants you to be. Be the covering. Be the one who's willing to be covered, men and women, by the Lord. You know, and finally, there is a difference between men and women. Exists no matter what the world tells you that we need one gender bathrooms and it's okay for little boys who think there are girls to go shower with the girls during class. Well, yeah, every little boy is going to say that to get in there with all the girls. Absolutely, it's messed up. But there's a difference. I can even tell Jacob doesn't do much. Mia does stuff that's definitely feminine, you know. Uh, and there's stuff that Jacob does even now. He's only barely a month old. That's manly. He just makes noise for everything. It's like, uh, 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 uh. Mia was never like that. <laughs> Like your daddy's boy. You know, again, not stereotypes, but be the person that is godly, holy, and someone else that's safe to be imitated, guys. You know, don't be a clone and drone on through life. But really, let's let God make us into the image of Him. Amen? Lord, we thank You for Your grace and that, God, You want us, uh, God, to be like You not through our own efforts of putting on hats or robes or changing our lives without you changing us first. But God, maybe our life is messed up this morning. 
Maybe our life is out of order and we need you. And if that's your life, if your life is out of order, if you feel like you just keep trying to cover yourself and you don't know Jesus, He wants to cover you. He wants to take away that shame and that guilt that tears you down and holds you down and keeps you back. If you want to get forgiveness, if you want to be free from guilt and shame and you want to let Jesus be the Lord of your life and call the shots and cover your life, please raise your hand and I will pray with you. You'll be free. Those drugs that you can't put down, you'll put them down. That relationship, that, that job, that life that keeps slipping away from you because of sin. You can have it. If you want to receive Jesus, I will pray with you. It's simple. Just raise your hand. For the rest of us, Lord, I thank you that you give us all an opportunity constantly to come to you that, God, you never want a moment to go by where we don't know you and can't turn to you. And God, if there is someone in here who just is too afraid, may they come up to one of the leaders afterwards or even like me, pray at home to receive you. God, for the rest of us, would you help us to, God, like your word says, to submit. God, would you cover us? Would you forgive our sin? And forgive us, really, of putting on things in our life to cover up our actions or excuses, like, I'm Italian, or I'm a guy, or it was my upbringing. All these excuses we have, God, I pray that you would remove them, forgive us for them, and be the Lord of our life. May you just be glorified, and may you return soon, and help us to be spotless and blameless when you return, that others might look on and see you, and you would receive glory. Bless my friends in here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you guys. May God bless you and his face shine upon you. And may he keep you until he returns. So I hope to see you back tonight. If not, come out Wednesday night. Pastor Tony will be back. God bless you guys. Wait.